Welcome to the gathering at Adel. Today's message is from our guest speaker, Jesse Tunnell. He's the pastor at the gathering at Brock. Today he's talking about developing a close relationship with Yahweh God. Um, As we get started, I I really just felt led to share something with you. Jill and I went to South Dakota a number of years ago, uh, and they handed this thing out. uh, And I saw it last week, and as I was just preparing for this week, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to share. And it's basically just a survey they took. I know many of you have probably heard this, but 75% of Uh, kids that grow up in the church leave the church, which is a sad testimony. And I know we're all about changing that, right? Um, But what's interesting is they did a study of the 25% that stayed, a scientific study of the reasons why they stayed in the church. What were the common denominators? And I thought this was really good. Number one, they ate five out of seven nights a week, ate dinner as a family. Okay, these are statistically uh, the common denominators of the 25% uh, of children that stayed connected with Christ uh, after the age of 18. Number two, they served with their families in some type of service or ministry. They served together as a family. Number three, they had at least one spiritual experience in their home during the week, like a family devotion, just one a week or a time where they studied the Bible together. Uh, number four, they were entrusted with the responsibility in ministry at an early age, meaning that they weren't thought they were too small to matter to God. They were plugged into some kind of ministry at an early age. And number five, they had at least one faith-focused adult in their life other than their parents. And so, you know, I, I don't know why exactly. Maybe somebody needed to hear that this morning, but we want our children to stay in the ways of God, Right. And so these are some reasons why the 25% stayed. So maybe that calls you out on some changes or some opportunities that you might need to take with your family uh, that will help in that process. All right. Um, If you could narrow down the message of the entire Bible into one concise statement, what do you think that would be? Narrow down the whole Bible into one concise statement. Anybody want to give it a shot? It's quite a task. He loves us. Good. What's that? Jesus died for our sins. Good. Anybody else want to give it a shot? Jesus saves. It's hard to argue with that one. All right. Good. Those are part of it. But Jesus did this, actually, in Matthew 22. Uh, Let's turn there. Jesus narrowed down the entire message of the Bible as he knew it into one statement, and you're going to recognize it. Jesus, in chapter 22 of Matthew, verse 37, Jesus replied, Sorry, I hear you turning. My bad. I already had it marked. That's kind of cheating. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then look what he says in verse 40. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, us in the New Testament, we're like, well, it's talking about the law and the prophets. We had to understand when Jesus was walking the earth, there was no New Testament Bible, right? And what they had was the law and the teaching of the prophets. So Jesus was saying, listen, everything that you know about the Bible hangs on this one thing, that you love God with all your heart and that you love one another. Isn't it interesting how far, if we're not careful, religion and the tradition of man can take us from the simplicity of the heart of God? And Jesus did rate them, and it's okay to do that because he did. And he said the absolute greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart. Isn't it interesting that the heart of God manifested in flesh through Jesus, that the greatest thing he wants is our love. It's pretty amazing. A God who has the rights to everything, who has the right to demand anything, what he wants most is our heart's affection. That's incredible. And what an opportunity that we have to do that. And over at the sister church in Brock, you know, we've really dedicated the year 2022 uh, to be a year of feasting at the banquet table of God. And we're really not trying to be like mystic or over romantic with that statement. That's, that's actually a biblical principle. Because feasting in the Bible is uh, equated to close fellowship. And what God is wanting from the church is for us to be the bride to his son. To be a devoted, loving bride. And I think that if there's anything we could focus our lives on, in this year or in this season on the earth, it's to come back to the basic most important thing, and that's to love God with all of our heart. And so uh, today, I feel like this is my life message. Seems like no matter where I go, this is what God teaches me and, and uses me to do. But I'd like to just list uh, some biblical truths of how we develop a close relationship with God. And even more specifically, how we develop a close relationship with Yahweh God. And why I think um, calling God by his personal name is important is because God, Lord, King, those are all titles. And there's other gods, there's other lords, there's other kings. There has been many and there will be many. But there's only one Yahweh God. And that's the name he announced himself to uh, Moses in Exodus. And when we see the word Lord in all caps all throughout our Bible, that's the English transliteration of the personal name of God, Yahweh. Because our God, the one and only God, Yahweh God, longs to be personal with us. Okay, 
So that's just why I think that it's important to use his name. You don't have to, and there's no, you know, we may not even be saying it right. We've got all these theologians that have studied, you know, but, but that's not the point. The point is the heart, you know. I don't call you parishioner, or I don't call you employee, or man, or woman, especially if we're friends, we're close. I call you by name because it is a close fellowship. And I think God deserves that. And I think he wants to be on first name basis with us. It doesn't diminish his holiness or he wouldn't have introduced himself to us with that name. Uh, Okay, so uh, basically, quickly, we're going to move through four practical truths of how we can develop a closer relationship with our God. Number one, I don't think this is going to surprise anybody, but we need to continually hear it. Number one is to spend quality time with God. God is a person. He has a heart. He has a soul. He has emotion. And uh, in the same way that we express love with any other person, God longs for us to express love to him in that way. And it's hard to have a relationship and genuinely know a person if you never spend time with them. All right? You can't truly love somebody you don't know, and you can't truly know somebody you never spend time with. You can know about them, you can study about them, you can know facts about them, but to know their heart, the way their voice sounds, the way their embrace feels requires time, right? And it's the same way with God. I'd like to take us back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3 as we look at uh, God's heart and some words that he says here as he's there in the garden with Adam and Eve. I like going back to the garden because I believe it was God's original intention before sin entered into the world and he had to shift the way he dealt with man. God is always redeeming uh, the, the bad decisions we make. That's what's so phenomenal about our God that sets him apart. Uh, but I love the, the first intentions of God with man in the garden. Uh, in chapter 3 of Genesis, we have uh, the fall of man, but that's not the intention of my heart this morning uh, to focus on. But I want to pick up in verse 6 of chapter 3, and uh, let's read through verse 10. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife heard the sound of Yahweh God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves from Yahweh God among the trees of the garden. But Yahweh God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. I have to focus on, I think this is fascinating. I have to focus on this, this three word question that God asked Adam and Eve, his first friends that he ever created and partnered with on the earth. Uh, He has this intimate fellowship with them. He's entrusting them. He's sitting with Adam as Adam uh, picks names for all the creation. 
and they're walking in the cool of the day together. And then one day Yahweh comes to the garden to take a walk with Adam and he's not there. He's hiding. And we know why he's hiding uh, guilt and shame, all the plans of the enemy to separate man and woman from God. And God asks this question, where are you? And I think if we spend just a moment, you know, recognizing who God is, we recognize that this is not a question of God's ignorance, right? He doesn't, I don't think it's a physical question of like, Adam, are you behind that tree over there? Like, where are you? I can't find you. Because he's omniscient and omnipresent. He's all places at all times and knows all things, right? But I think this was more of a spiritual and an emotional question of where are you? Where is the one that I created to walk with me in fellowship? Where are you? I grew up, you know, being told that that we should be really guarded with our emotions and be careful about emotional experiences with God. And if there is an emotional experience, you might want to double check yourself uh, because it probably wasn't God. And I get the intent of my leaders growing up, meaning that emotion should not be the driving influence of our life at all times. Sometimes we don't feel like being obedient and we just are because he's worthy, right? But to extract emotion from Christianity is to rob God because we are made in his likeness. And if you read the Bible, God was joyful. He was sad. He was angry. He was happy. He dances and he weeps. Like you get it, right? He's an emotional God. And he created us to be that way. And here's where I'm going with spending quality time with God. I believe that in our culture of busyness and great distraction, God is asking the same question of his people. Where are you? I'm here in the garden of fellowship that I've created for us to be in together. I'm here. I'm waiting. Where are you? Where are you, Jesse? And I don't think it's a where are you of condemnation. It's a where are you of desire. And... Um, where are the people in Christianity that will raise their hand and say, I'm here. I'm here, God. I'm here for you. I'm willing to lay down things. I'm willing to set aside time. I'm willing to be here uh, for you. Um, what's the practical application of that? What, is that? what does that look like, spending quality time with God, being one of the few people on the earth that says, I'm here for you, God. I want to spend the time that it, that it takes to get to know you, to be your friend, to be your confidant on the earth. What does that look like? Um, well, I mean, it's very practical. Start your day rolling out of bed onto your knees and giving your heart to God. It takes about 15 seconds. Depending on how old we are and the condition of our knees, it might require a little more effort than some of us. And some of us may not be able to physically do that. So we roll out of bed and we bow our hearts, right? But I, I, Jill and I were talking about it last night, and she was just talking about how I, it's just a position of the body, but it means so much more for the heart. 
to kneel before God. It doesn't take a lot of time, but it sets the heart focus of the day. How do we spend time without, uh, throughout the day with God? Um, making times in the morning for a devotional. Devotional meaning the place where we devote ourselves to God. Are you consistent in your time with God? It may require getting up a little earlier or, or creating a little space, but that's a very practical way we can do that. Uh, every once in a while, rise with the sun and give praise to your God. Right? Doesn't have to be like a, an everyday thing. Some of you are like, man, that's a once every 10 year thing for me. Uh, and that's okay, but uh, give it as a love gift to God. Give him a sunrise. Just sit with him, just you and him. Watch the beauty of the world come alive and tell him how wonderful he is. Uh, lunch breaks. Uh, just maybe one or two lunch breaks during the week. Let it be for him. Just don't go to, friend, to eat with all your friends and go to the regular place. Maybe you got to go out to your car in the parking lot at work and just be alone with your God. Take walks with God. Yeah, I think this is so good. It, it's so good for those of us who our minds never stop working. Sometimes if we'll just get into the physical act of our walk, walking and our body is moving and our mind kind of shuts off, we can have fellowship with God that we can't have sitting still for some of us. You know, so taking a walk with God. Um, uh, fire pits in the evening, you know. Um, did that this week. It wasn't intentionally meant to be with God, but I ended up finding myself alone at the fire pit at night and uh, just having a moment with God. You know, it's just, just be a little creative. Isn't he worth you being a little creative this week of some way you can spend time with him? I think he's worth that. And then give him your last thoughts when you lay down at night. Your last thoughts, whether they're frustration or whatever it may be, lay it down and, and just express your love to him. Does that make sense? Just giving him time. And, and don't be worried about what you feel or don't feel in the time you give God because relationships take effort and time. Just do the things that you know build a relationship with anybody. Do those things with God and give it time and let him draw your heart to him. All right. Number two, uh, second practical truth for uh, developing a close relationship with God, communication, a conversational lifestyle. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, if you want to turn there, gives us some real brief statements about how to live in a relationship with God. But I love it because at the end it says, this is God's will for you. You know, because we're always asking you know, what's God's will for my life? What does he want from me? And I love these passages that just are like, boom, this is God's will for you. Uh, but uh, Thessalonians 5, 16, uh, anybody can memorize these. These are some of the shortest verses in the Bible. You ready? Verse 16, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When I was a kid... And I was, I was made to memorize this verse in Bible drill. It was in, the new, it was in the New King James Version. It was pray without ceasing. And that always really freaked me out. Because how do you pray without ever stopping? And that's a little ridiculous. And I was always thinking, you know, God, that's a little impractical for you to ask of us. You know, I mean, 
Not all of us can afford to be monks, right, and live that lifestyle where we live our whole lives in communion every moment of the day separated from the world. And I know he doesn't call all of us to do that. So how can we be obedient in this uh, pray without ceasing? Well, the intention of God was to walk with him through life, not visit him every once in a while. And pray without ceasing just means to develop a conversational lifestyle where you're talking to God about everything in your life. And it takes a little effort to labor into that kind of lifestyle, but here's what I've found. You would think it would be a burden, but it becomes a refreshment. And naturally, you think, if I had to talk to God about everything I do, what a beatdown, right? But when you begin to live that rhythmic what I call breathing prayers, whether they're out loud when you can or in your heart when you're in a meeting or when you're around some other people, but everything you're doing, you're talking to him about it. That will develop an intimacy uh, that you can't get in many other ways with God. And what does that look like? That looks like waking up and saying, good morning, Father. And you make your way over to the bathroom, begin brushing your teeth. You say, thank you. Thank you that I got teeth. Thank you that I have a house, a heater that I, I get to be comfortable in. And then you, you go to get dressed. What do you want me to wear today? Some people really need to be asking God that because he's got, <laughs> he's got some things to say about that. You know, what do you want me to wear today? You never know, Andis. There may be somebody that received a prophetic word that somebody in an orange shirt is going to meet them at the gas station that day, and what you wear really matters. Why wouldn't you talk to God about it? Uh, God, what do you want me to eat for breakfast? Some of us really don't want to ask him that question because we're not going to like what he says, but that's the conversation. And then the conversation can be, I don't want to eat that, God. Help me. Does anybody else have that conversation? <laughs> I don't want to eat that. So help me, God. You know, it's like, and then we're driving to work, and we're talking to God about that guy, you know, that won't get out of the left lane. And we can talk to him about our frustrations. And then we're at work or at home or whatever, and we go into a meeting, and we're looking around, and we're asking God, what do they need? How do you want me to see this person, God? And we're just breathing a lifestyle of prayer. Uh Listening is also a part of conversation. You get that right? So a lifestyle of prayer also means breathing and being silent and listening and taking time. Prayer boiled down is just any kind of conversation you can have with God. In part, sometimes prayer is expressing your anger and frustration with God and even at God. But it's being honest in your heart. Why do we hide so many things from God when he knows our every heart, our every thought? Right? Why not just let those things out, be honest with them about it, and let it build intimacy? You know why Jill and I are so close? We've been married 20 years. We're, we're, not, we're not best friends just because of the fun times we've had in marriage, right? We're best friends because of the crappy, horrible times we've had in marriage, in some of the worst moments in our life we've been through together. It's the same way with God. Your history with him is not just high, 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 high. 
There's great despair. There's lows. But if you use those opportunities to converse with him and draw close with him, he'll redeem them to make you closer than you've ever been. Right? Does that make sense? All right. Um, so pray without ceasing. Uh, no pressure. It's not meant to be a burden, but a refreshment. Give it a try. All right. Wow. Okay. So need to be you real quick. Uh, number three, I will. Uh, number three, practical truths of how we can draw closer to God. Service expresses our genuine love for God. Jesus said, uh, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Why did Jesus come to earth to be a humble servant? I don't think it's just because God told him to, right? Even though he would be obedient to his father. I don't think it was just so that he could teach us how we need to be servants, although that's part of it. Why does the Bible say that Jesus came? Because he loved us. Because he loved us, he came and he became a servant. And in the same way, how do we express our love and grow in our love to God is to serve one another and to serve God. So I want to challenge you. How are you serving God in your life right now? I know this for a fact. Pastor Jeff loves you guys deeply. He really does. I know this about him. Uh, he doesn't preach for the money because... He could quit preaching, focus on, my, my wife laughs at that because she knows of all people that you don't preach for money. Um, I know that this week he could quit pastoring, focus on his concrete business and double his income this year like that. He could do it. So why does he give his life for this congregation, the kingdom of God? Because he loves you. He does. Sit in the streets in Adel, door to door, meeting people. Not because he thinks it's what he should do, but because he loves this community already. He wants to give his heart here, and he loves his God. I know that's why Kelly's here. That's why you're here. Your elders who have served here for so long, they obviously don't do it for the money or the kudos. They do it because they love you. How are you serving God as an expression of love with no other motivation? Not to get anything from it, not to get kudos, but because you love him. Last but definitely not least, number four, practical ways that we can develop a closer relationship with God. This one is a winner. You ready? Obedience is a practical way to tell God that we love him. By the way, the passage for service is Mark 10, 42 through 45, if you want to turn that. Let's just close here at looking at John chapter 14 uh, when we look at obedience, and we'll be finished here. John chapter 14, it's verse 21. This is Jesus speaking, and we're going to look at verse 21, 23, and then we're going to cross the page over to chapter 15 for a couple of verses. John chapter 14, 21, Jesus says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. It's quite a promise, right?
right? And then look at verse 23. And Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see the promises here? If we'll be obedient, Jesus will reveal himself, draw close and develop an intimate relationship with us. And then if we can just look across over chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. As the father has loved me, get this, listen to what Jesus is saying. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I want you to know today, Jesus loves you as much as God loves him. It's pretty amazing. All right. And then verse 10, he offers this challenge. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. All right. The word remain here means to dwell, to set up a, a, a permanent place, right? This is not an in and out type of thing. And, and Jesus is saying, like, this is how you remain with me, remain in my love, obedience. It actually takes a lot of pressure off you. If you want to express love to God and receive love and remain in his love this week. It is not mystical, difficult, or complicated. Well, difficult it can be, but definitely not complicated. It's this. In all the little ways that he speaks to you this week, say yes. Like when he tells you not to drive like an idiot, Say, yes, Lord. Why are you looking at your parents? Uh, that is not very nice. Yeah. Right? When, when he tells you to not speak to your spouse that way, or when he tells you to speak to your spouse that way, and you say, yes, Lord, that's love. It's these little things it's when he asks you to pray for a coworker and you stop and do it. That's intimacy. That's fellowship. Isn't that amazing how God established this relationship where uh, all we have to do is do the things that he knows are best for us and we draw closer to him. So... If this year, if you want this year to be a year that you walk in close fellowship, intimacy with God, let's spend time with him this week. Let's have a conversation with him, right? Let's serve him in the ways that he calls us to. And then let's just be obedient to what he says. And uh, it's not just those big things. It's the little things, right? God told us that it's the little foxes that will spoil the vineyard, but it's also the little yeses that build the garden, right, that we get to walk with him in. Thanks for letting me be here today. Thank you for your time and your patience. Let's just take a moment as we close. Let's just take a moment of quiet. Let's let him bring to our attention any way that he wants us to respond to his word this morning. And we'll just be obedient to him in that.
Well, Father, I say yes to these things. I know I've been too busy, too distracted. So I want to give you more time, more conversation this week. Help me to serve with proper motives. Father, give me strength to be obedient to you. And I pray that for my friends here today as well. Father, don't let go of our hearts. We often draw away from you, so we just ask for your unconditional love and patience. Please keep a hold of our hearts. Increase our hunger and desire to know you and to be with you. And thank you for making a way for us to do that. We surrender to you this week. May your will be done in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.